Blog Talk Radio.
tracking who we need and call this liberty. Anything in anything south of the United States, 
is uh, like a third world country or something like that. And and that's very sad because uh, unless unless we as Americans uh, keep a sharp eye out on the goings-on around us, uh, we're going to be very stupid, at least as far as as far as understanding the things that are going on in the rest of the world and the things that could happen to us. Argentina has been in a 60-year cycle of ups and downs financially and economically. They've taken some pretty severe beatings. Uh, there was a long stretch from 74 to 90. It was very rough. And eventually they had the, uh, the complete collapse from, uh, that occurred in the span during the 1998 to 2002 depression. And a lot of folks think that uh, Argentina, uh, that it can't happen, something like that can't happen to Americans. We're too, uh, we're too financially well off. We're too cultured or we're too smart or, or whatever. Listen, while Argentina has had some troubles, uh, financial economic troubles in the country, they are far from being uh, any kind of a third world country. They have vast natural resources. They have a, a very rich uh, culture there. There is a lot of wealth. Uh, they have a very strong uh, scientific and cultural uh, aspects to the country. And if it can happen in Argentina, it can happen anywhere. Uh, our guest tonight went through it with his family, and uh, we're going to be talking to him about about the the things that led up to it, the signs that he could see of the uh, the nation getting ready to experience uh, a disaster of this, of this proportion, and then the things that he did that he had to do in order to make it through, what he and his countrymen had to do in order to make it uh, through this event. I, I believe I I believe I see him on the air now, Fernando. Hi, hello, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine. Welcome to the show, Fernando. Thanks, glad to be here. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to, out of your day or your, your evening now, you're six hours ahead, to speak with yeah, me. And I, I apologize for all of, the, uh, all of the, the craziness leading up to this. I was trying to figure out uh, how to do Skype and how to get Skype connected to the show and and then I, my computer dumped me about uh, an hour and a half ago, so I had to try and reload it on several other computers and then try to teach myself how to use a Mac real quick. So uh, so thanks for putting up with that. Uh, Fernando, if you can tell us, uh, if you can tell us a, a little bit about yourself and a, and a little bit about your, the history, where you grew up, and, uh, and, and what you experienced uh, there in Argentina. Sure. Yes. Uh, I well, I, I was born in in Buenos Aires, in, in Argentina, and I well lived most of my life there. I, I did live in U.S. for for uh, three years when I was little. I actually lived in Boston for some time, and so <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. Um, I was uh, when things got um, kind of bad. I, I was just getting married. I think I was about. 21, 22 years old, and yeah, just starting with a family, and <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't an easy time. Well, when you were 
when you were growing up, and I'm, I'm assuming you were there during the, the 1974 to 1990 uh, troubles too, right? Uh, no, I wasn't born at that time yet. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Well, well, then, so you missed that. So, but yeah, during I was, the introduction, I, was, I, was I don't know if you heard during the introduction, but I was talking to folks about the fact that a lot of people don't understand when they live in America. Don't understand. Right. They don't. They're they're very ignorant of things that happen beyond their borders. When they when they hear about places like uh, Argentina or stuff like that, they don't understand. Oh, a lot of people think that it's a third world country, but it, it's not. The Argentina was a was a very rich, uh, very wealthy country, a very uh, very sophisticated uh, country, and and before the collapse. Uh, Tell us a little bit about before the collapse. Uh, there, there wasn't. I mean, there's not a whole lot of difference between living in well, living in Boston and and living in some place like Buenos Aires, right? Right. Well, you know, Argentina was never on the level of well, at least not in recent years in the level of of U.S. Of course, but you are right about people sometimes thinking that everything south of it, of the border is just a a big wasteland and there's nothing there. And it, today you can make, make an argument about Argentina being a, a third world country or developed country, but that doesn't mean it was always that way. Actually, during the 80s and, and 90s, you were making, you couldn't make more money in dollars working in Argentina than working in U.S. Uh, oh, a yeah. Manager yeah, I know a lot off. of people that. Right. Yeah, I know a lot of people that that made their fortunes working in Argentina. Exactly. I mean, you would be making more money uh, as a as an executive working in, in Argentina than working in U.S. And culturally speaking, it had a great level of education. Uh, culturally, Buenos Aires was always considered a they they call it the the Paris of of Latin America and. You know, it is still a very nice city, big city, like 20 million people packed. And this idea of, you know, sometimes you get the question asked, like, did you have do you have cable over there? Do you have internet? <laughs> you think that's like, a, you know, but that's, and, yeah, that's and what I mean. You, people they right. they don't understand. At least a lot of Americans, anyway. I don't, I'm sure that there, there's probably places that. Are, that other people think the same, but a lot of Americans they think that that uh, that another any other country is not as developed or uh, or is not on the same footing. And the reason I brought that up is because <clears throat> that uh, when they're living in America and they say, "Oh, well, we're our our economic system, our financial systems, and everything else are we're, they're much they're much more developed than any other countries, and certainly it couldn't happen here." and I just want folks to understand that that Argentina was not a backwards third world nation, and yet it still happened to them. Uh, Not only that, you you also have to realize that the the same economic system, actually the same companies that had a very strong influence in what ended up happening in Argentina, the other same companies that you will find all over the world, including most, most especially U.S., many of the banks, that had no problem in, in stealing people's money because that's what they did. They, they closed the doors and, and took people's money. You know, 
those are the same companies, the same banks you have in U.S. So it's not That's a matter right. of, people have to understand they're not, it, morally speaking, it's not beyond of them to do that sort of thing. I think it's, I think it's the bigger the company gets, I don't think it's, not only is it not beyond them, I think it's the exact thing that you could expect of them, no matter exactly. where they are. They'll, they'll shut exactly. that door. They'll put the money in a suitcase. They'll transfer it uh, away out of the country electronically, and you'll never see it again. Absolutely. They're, they have no problem whatsoever with doing that. You know, I don't know if, if to some level maybe they convince themselves that, you know, the, the, the typical thing of too big to fail, that maybe in a, in a psychotic level they think we're doing them a favor, we're doing people a favor, because if we go down, everything goes down. So they may even think that they are right in, in what they're doing. So they will have no problem in doing it in other countries if they can get away with it. Right. And we'll talk – I'd like to talk a little bit about that before, before we end, about the fact – about that very thing, about companies nowadays who profess to be capitalists saying, you can't let us fail because we're too big to fail and stuff like that. But right now, can you tell us uh, – Whenever the when Argentina was headed toward its crash, the eventual crash, and now most of the economists and stuff list the actual time period as 1998 to 2000. Now I know that the the actual crash didn't come until right around 2000, right? Yeah, it was the the, the big problem started in in uh, 2000, December 2001. That was when everything broke down socially with. With lots of of rioting and protests, and and the president pretty much left. Uh, you know, not unlike what you're seeing right now in Ukraine. The 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 ex president of Ukraine, he left the the presidential building and his residency in a chopper. The president of Argentina back then left also in a chopper, running away running away. So uh, lots of similarities in spite of the the distances and differences. I'm sure it had to be a pretty big chopper to carry the all the suitcases of uh, currency and stuff. <laughs> I, well, he probably had already. <laughs> yeah, it's a mother country. Yeah. Can you tell us uh, how the, how it looked, how the run up to the problems looked? Like uh, in the in the mid '90s, uh, things were going along pretty well. But what did you start seeing that started? that started pointing folks to thinking about this is no good and we're getting ready, something bad is getting ready to happen? Well, the, the clear indication of that was during the 90s we had the, the currency, the, the Argentine peso, pegged to the dollar to, to a one-to-one -one exchange rate. So if you were making a, a 10,000 pesos a month uh, in terms of salary in Argentina, you were making $10,000 a month, you know. That's why, as I was saying before, you were making a lot of money in dollars with any average job that you could get. Uh, at the same time, you, you traveled to U.S. and people were not making as much money as you were. So that was an indication of something not being realistic. Uh, because of that currency exchange rate, the national industry was, was, suffered greatly. Anything being produced locally was very expensive. It was much cheaper buying everything from abroad, and that's something that Americans can relate to as well. 
you see these imports from China, you cannot compete with China in, in terms of, of, of how much it costs to produce stuff, at least not to right. a large degree. So that's something that, that, that would be another similarity. That's right. America, America doesn't make anything now except, uh, except uh, like currency printed bills. That's the only thing that we make now is, is like printed money. Uh, everything else is made in China and everywhere else. No matter where you go, that's what you see. Spending our money out of the country as fast as we can. Right. That, that would be a, a clear similarity in terms of being very dependent on how, how much value others put in your currency because the minute they don't do that anymore or the minute that starts shaking a little bit, you're not producing much yourself. You just have the, the strong economy and you print the dollars that as of right now everyone wants, but if something happens like what happened in Argentina and you, you end up looking at a very cold look at what you're actually producing, you see lots of holes all over the economy. So you're very much dependent on, on the trust people have of your currency. When that right. uh, fell apart in Argentina, everything went down like a, um, a, a house of cards. I don't think we're that far from that here. I mean, if you see, you can hear every day or you can read uh, the reports of other countries trying to divest themselves uh, and to separate from the dollar. And uh, I don't think that people understand how, how, how dangerous that is for us because of what you just described. No, this was happening in the in the the nineties. When you got closer to the to the actual events, what did what kind of things were happening that uh that that, that allowed you to, to well, see or or did could you guys see this coming pretty clearly? Uh, yeah, I mean it, it wasn't it wasn't that hard to see that something bad was was heading our way. The national industry being uh, shaking as much as it had been uh, destroyed by by a cheap or by a cheap imports that destroyed the national industry. That means there was quite a bit of problems with unemployment as well. So lots of people without jobs, and that that definitely had had an impact. So we were also uh, borrowing money. Another thing that Americans would uh, definitely feel familiar with. Uh, the country was going into debt more and more and more until the International Monetary Fund basically um, – you, you cannot say that they were that naive and not knowing that they could not repay what they were being loaned. Again, something that in America is happening also. You cannot be naive and think, yeah, someday they're going to be coming up with the money out of thin air and paying back. You just know there's not going to be a way of paying back how much you're borrowing. And – Eventually, when, when, when you also end up losing the, the trust in your economy, that's uh, when things start falling apart. Well, as people, as it started becoming more and more of a possibility, uh, did, did people see the, did they see the warning signs and were, were, was anyone did anyone think that what that it was going to be as bad as it was, and were they or was anyone trying to prepare themselves for it? Prepare as as in in, in preparedness as you see right now, and I, no people people realized things were bad, especially because of 
you know, people not being able to put food on the table because of, of lack of, of jobs. Unemployment had reached uh, about 21, 25%. Unemployment was very, very bad. And people were getting desperate, you know. They didn't have money. So you, were, you started seeing more, uh, in, you started seeing uh, rioting and looting in December of, of the summer of 2001. So that was a, a clear sign of bad things to come. I remember that in, in those days, I actually went to the bank and tried to uh, close a, uh, a small account that, that I had with, with a few bucks in it in dollars, and they told us we don't have dollars in the bank. It was like, I don't know if it was like $1,000, something like that, and they told us we don't have that, that kind of money. And we knew that if the bank was not, uh, was not willing to give you 1000 bucks, then things were probably bad. So we hurried. We, we closed, uh, um, myself and my sister, we closed uh, a couple of accounts that we had. And the, the following day, the, the banks uh, closed the doors, froze people accounts, and you couldn't take any money out of them anymore. Ah, uh, yeah, and uh, <laughs> I mean, that's it. I mean, that's it. You're not getting And that's it. That's, that's the end game. That when the banks say, okay, you're not, you're not taking your money out anymore, that, that's it. You can complain all you want, you can protest, you can, but you're not getting your money out of it. And they basically give you a limit. Again, as you see right now in Ukraine, they have like this 1,000 euro limit a week, I believe it is. So what they did in Argentina was like 300 pesos that you could take out of it. And you just went crazy trying to find an ATM with some money to take your your share of money out of every every day or so. Man, well, I know that my grandfather uh, went through the Great Depression in America, and I believe he went down to the bank, and right as it was, right as they were making the run of the bank, getting the cash out and everything, he. Uh, they told him that they couldn't give out any more money, and uh, that they were closing. Now he had a he had a pistol in his waistband. Not not because he was a bad guy; he just carried it for defense. And he opened right. up his jacket, and he said, "I want my money, and I don't want anybody else's." <laughs> he goes, "I just want mine." And they gave him his money, and he left. But after that, right. nobody got a penny. It was shut down. Nobody got their money. And it's not like later on the bank said, okay, we're back open now, and you can have the money that you had in there with this. That money's gone forever. Yeah, I mean, in, in the case of Argentina, what happened was that um, people were, those that had been saving in, in dollars, they suddenly found out that their, uh, their dollars accounts were being converted to the devaluated peso. So they, they ended up losing 30% of their of their money in the first couple of days, 50% up to uh, one-third of the value. So uh, losing 75% of your savings in just uh, a matter of weeks. Oh, my gosh. Well, once that started happening, once the people saw that this is – and usually that's when, that's when you know that the end is there, when, that, when the, the people start making runs and on the banks – and the banks end up closing the doors, and then they shut down the uh, securities trading and everything else. They know that that's that that's the beginning of uh, of whatever disaster they're getting ready to experience. Once that happened, can you tell us about uh, about what started happening uh, in the, like in the city where you live? 
Yeah, well, I, I was I was living in Buenos Aires, so uh, you, you saw some crazy stuff. You saw people really getting scared, and worried. I mean, I, I went off into my my gun store, uh, my, my friendly gun shop, and I would always, you know, look around, see if there was something interesting and such. So I would be there, you know, almost <laughs> at least once a week, and you start seeing people show up and saying, "I want a gun right now." And, and the guys, the, the guys at the gun shop, they will tell them, you know, you cannot have it right now. You have to wait. You have in Argentina, you need a, a license, and you have, you know, it's not an easy process. It's not as if you can just walk through the door and leave with a gun. So you saw lots of people really desperate. Um, I, I remember some um, you know, some store owners going in and buying uh, the, the plastic buckshot for the shotguns for. For, for for the for the looters just to have that just in case and it, it was a, a a pretty crazy period of time uh was there was there with the with the crash just starting i mean there were still uh you still had all of the utilities and everything on right the the electric right. and water and, and everything like that did did you guys ever lose the utilities during the crash? Well, already we would see, we would experience, especially during the summer, you, you would have a, a rolling blackouts pretty often. So it, it, wasn't, it wasn't as if it was much of a big surprise. Um, I think that the worst part started when all these events affected economically the infrastructure. It ended up affecting, I mean, the, the poor economy affected the infrastructure of the country. So the following year and the years to come, I mean, if even today, this, this last summer in Argentina, they spent months without power at a time in Buenos Aires because of the lack of, of infrastructure that carries from the time of, of the economic collapse in 2001. So the following year, it was, it was bad. And little by little, the infrastructure kept on degrading. Same with the water. The quality of water dropped. In, you know, in just a matter of, of, of months or maybe a couple of years, you, you saw water quality being very, very bad. You just needed a filter for tap water because it was of awful quality. Well, once the, the, once the crash was complete and, uh, uh, and it was in full swing and, and nobody had any money anymore, not private individuals, and I'm sure a lot of... Uh, and the same thing with the companies. You know, they kept their money in the banks and everything else. And if the companies don't have money, they can't pay their employees. And uh, so did people start uh, losing their jobs too? Well, a lot of people lost their jobs because many companies were experiencing so many problems because of all this. At the same time, uh, they, they would have these measures. For example, you were, out, you were allowed to um, – I mean, if you had accounts in dollars, they were turned to uh, pesos and readjusted, and <laughs> they pretty much took a, a big chunk out of it. But you were uh, allowed to spend using maybe your, your debit cards, even though may, may, many stores did not accept uh, credit cards and debit cards anymore. So it was a, a complicated moment. You had to find – I mean, you, you, if you had a job, you still showed up to, to, your, to work, you got paid – and so of course, many lots of people had lots of problems getting paid because many companies could not uh, keep doing business. But if you were lucky enough, you got your 
your, um, your, your payments deposited, and you will try to find a store that accepted credit cards or debit cards and only then make the, the purchases you needed. So it was, uh, you know, with a pretty complicated period of time uh, that lasts. I mean, it, it's not as if it's uh, a thing that lasts for a few weeks or a few months. It's something that lasts years, and even a decade later, you still see the disaster that uh, started back in the day. Right. What about uh, what about goods and services? Because you know, if you, I don't know how exactly how it would work there, but uh, people still need stuff. They still got to have uh, you know at least the basics. They got to have some milk for their kids. They got to right. have uh, some food to feed people or medicine, you know, for for right. people and stuff like that. Did Did you notice the 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 change occurring with the stuff that was stocked on the shelves, or uh, was it still yeah, easy to the, find the first, goods? Right. The, the first thing you noticed was, was inflation. You know, just just hours later, everything started going up in price, and inflation. I, I, sometimes uh, I always tell the, the story. That I was buying. Uh, I was in like a, a Home Depot kind of store. You know, like a like an American Home Depot hardware store. And I was buying in, I was buying a, a drill that cost I think like thirty something pesos, you know, which back in the day was like thirty something something dollars. And by the time I picked it up, and by the time I got to the uh, to, to the register for for paying it, you know, uh, it had doubled in price. And they told me, you know, okay, it's it's sixty two bucks. And I said, no, I just picked it up. It cost thirty two. And we walked back with a clerk to where I had picked it up, and there was a new price already stuck in, in top of the other one. And I told him, you know, I just picked it up. And the, and the lady peeled off the price, <laughs> and there it was at the old price that I had picked it up at. The thing is that the clerks were running around the stores with, this, uh, with these guns, you know, with the, the stickers, putting – they wouldn't even remove the old ones. They would just stick it in top of the, of the old price because prices were going up by the hour. Uh, so, oh, yeah, man. inflation was, was bad. So, uh, about your question, you were basically juggling with finding a place that would take your, your uh, debit card or credit card, which that you were allowed to use. Uh, but, for example, you were driving, you needed gas. No gas station uh, was accepting plastic. They just wanted cash. And they had these signs that said, cash only. So it was a game of uh, either using um, the little cash you could get out of, of the ATM. It was a game of finding an ATM that had money to begin with so as to take your allowed uh, amount of money uh, uh, for that week and just trying to make it work with what little cash you had and if not finding a place that was taking a debit card. Well, that was at the beginning. How did how bad did it finally get? Was there was there a point where like the store shelves were bare and people had no money or or no credit or debit uh, or anything that they could spend? Well, people did whatever they could. If you had money, then then good for you. You just you just found ways of using it, finding uh, finding ATMs with money or using the your, using your debit card. 
Now, if um, if you if you were without money, uh, that was even more of a problem, and you saw that as well. Stores mostly was uh, there wasn't really long periods of time in which grocery stores and supermarkets closed their doors. You would see some of the shelves uh, looking a little bit barren every once in a while. Uh, there were limits to how much you could buy. Also, you were just limited to a one pack of sugar, one pack of um, one, one bottle of, uh, of uh, vegetable oil, or just uh, a couple liters of milk at a time. Uh, now, for those that didn't have any money because they had lost their jobs and they just didn't have uh, anything to feed their kids and themselves with, they would just go looting. And sometimes, this actually, I thought firsthand, I was uh, buying in a grocery store, and as we were leaving, we saw this mob of people in the parking lot. And they were just straight up fun. They said, you know, if you don't give us stuff, if you don't give us food, we'll just move the place. And this would happen every once in a while across the country in different spots, different places. And so it was periods of time that things looked as if they had calmed down, and they would. Every once in a while, a mob would show up demanding food so as to get by. And maybe the manager would go out and organize they would give them food so as, they, so as to prevent the store from being destroyed completely. So they would rush out, the clerks would rush out with, with some food to give it to them, leave it there in the parking lot for them, and, and sometimes avoiding getting the place trashed. Well, since you bring that up about uh, mob, uh, the mob threatening and violence and stuff, what about uh, police and military presence? Uh, during the events, did the was were there still plenty of police that were trying to keep uh, keep the streets uh, safe and keep violence down, or how did that work? Yeah, especially in the beginning, there was there were attempts, you know, uh, of controlling the mass of people that were rioting, and I think that it mounted up to about thirty something dead during that. Uh, that uh, December 19 of 2001, uh, you would see, you know, cops doing their best to keep things under control. But the problem is that, and sometimes people don't realize this, when an entire country goes, uh, you know, goes upside down, all of a sudden there's no police force in the world that can control it. Not in Argentina, right. not in U.S. Uh, when everyone riots at the same time. The police are just powerless. So, uh, to some extent, uh, companies hired their own security. But when a, a huge mob showed up, there wasn't that much you can do. At least not in, in most cases. Uh, some store owners, like you saw in the, the, the Korean or Chinese store owners in, in in LA, that they you know they, they they protected their stores with guns. In some cases, they they, they managed to do that, but. At the end of the day, when there's so much people uh, desperate, there's really not that much you can do. Right. Well, what about uh, you know there? There's a and and you're no certainly no stranger to the uh, the prepping and survival community in the United States. And when I was doing the introduction, I don't know if you heard or not, but uh, and I don't have to tell you this, but you're somewhat of a, a legend among the the survival and prepping community because. <laughs> you managed to you managed to do such a good job of publishing uh how the 
how the events went down and the things that uh, folks right. had to do to get by them. But a lot of the folks in the prepping community have, they, they have, in the United States anyway, they have different yeah. ideas about how things like this are going to occur and what the answer is and stuff. Some people uh, are convinced that uh, they have to to uh, uh, buy gold and silver so that uh, if something happens to their currency, that they are, you know, that they're protected by being able to trade uh, in gold and silver. You know, if they're if the actual paper right. currency or electronic currency gets uh, messed with or destroyed. Did you see any of that there? Yeah, gold was was actually a huge. I mean, if if you if you had bought gold and maybe if you had uh, some some of your savings in precious metals, of course you were you you were very well off because gold and silver kept their value as uh, as a currency went went down the drain. So it was uh, anything that you had in gold and silver was protected from from the from the inflation. And if you had it, of course, out of the bank. You, you you just avoided the 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 corralito, which is you know the way in which it was called, like the corral, a corral around your account. Uh, you, right. you basically avoided that. So it was. Uh, I also recommend people at least having uh, at least a percentage of your savings in gold and silver, and, and not go nuts over how much it's worth. If it's going up, if it's going down. Uh, if something like what happened in Argentina happens in your country, you'll be very glad you had that money in, in precious metals because no matter what happens, there's always going to be a, a place where you manage to sell that gold and silver you have and you know, use that money for buying whatever goods and services you're needing during those complicated moments. The, the business actually of, of precious metals went up 500% the year after the, the collapse. And that's because um, there was a lot of people very desperate that they ended up selling their gold jewelry. So uh, maybe they, they had 14, 18 karat gold. Maybe someone had... Um, you have to keep in mind that Argentina is a country of immigrants. It's a country of, of Spanish and Italian immigrants. And these are guys that came from the Spanish Civil War or World War II. So they know what bad times were like. Many of these old-timers had a little bit of saving in, in gold. Many of them had a few gold coins. And when this happened, many of them ended up selling uh, those coins or, many, uh, or sometimes jewelry to get by. So uh, jewelry stores were doing very well in that regard, buying that uh, junk gold. And, and people with that, just you know, managed to put a little bit of food on the table. Right. What about uh, you know? You have the you have the crowd here, and uh, that you hear the the folks saying, "Well, if something ever goes wrong, or uh, you know, if there's some kind of crisis in the cities, and 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 we you know, I can't make it there, can't get any money, or it gets dangerous. <clears throat> well, we're just going to." Uh, we're just going to get our backpacks and uh, head off to the woods and live off the land. Uh, yeah. Did anybody? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a favorite. <laughs> anybody uh, in Argentina have that idea? Uh, no, no one was that crazy. 
No, yeah, I, I know it's a, a popular thing, <laughs> but uh, well, you you know this already. It's uh, actually a, I mean, try doing it right now. If you can manage to live off the land right now, you'll you'll probably have better luck. But I say, look, don't if you can't if you can't go out and do it right now. Don't think that yeah. you're going to be able to go out and do it when there's uh, 5,000 other people out in the woods with you thinking they're going to do the same thing. Well, actually, even if you're able to do it right now, don't expect to be able to do it later on. One of the – something that's pretty interesting, um, hunting is kind of a thing in Argentina. There's lots of land. There's not that much people. So with little effort, you can get out of Buenos Aires and find a place somewhere – where you can shoot a rabbit or two or something else to eat. And right. In just a matter of months after the crisis, uh, the, the population of, of made hares uh, you know, and, and bunny rabbits were, was decimated. Everyone had the right. same idea, and they almost uh, killed them all in just a matter of, of months. Because you know, if everyone does it at the same time, it's has to supplement their economic problems there's no amount of, of wildlife population that can keep up that. And this also happened, you know what, in the U.S. during the Depression, in many places, the deer population was practically depleted because of, of all the hunters trying to put food on, on the table by hunting. That's what happened here in central Texas, where I am. During the Depression, they completely wiped out all of the deer population for hundreds of miles uh, in any direction. It was only back in the uh, uh, in the 1970s that the Fish and Game Department said, look, uh, we're going to try and reintroduce deer. And uh, they've started bringing in deer with, them, with a moratorium on hunting. So you couldn't hunt them, I think, for the first right. uh, seven or eight years until they had established some, uh, you know, some type of numbers. But they were completely wiped out during the Depression. And, and like you said, it didn't happen... It didn't happen in over the span of years. It happened over the span of a few months. Yeah. And what was the population of U.S. back in back in that day compared to right now? Uh, it was actually is actually less than what it is <laughs> now. The actual deer population was a lot less than it is now. So they I mean, the, the, amount of, the amount of people that would go out today to try to oh, live yeah, off yeah, the, the land compared the population. <laughs> Yeah, population was a lot less in this area then. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There was only uh, around uh, four or five thousand people in the area here, as opposed to the uh, almost uh, eighty thousand that there are now. So right. So you can't expect that you're going to go anywhere, anywhere in the in the United States, and think that you're going to live off the land, uh, unless you unless that's how you grew up and how you've been doing it. And even then. Right. A lot of, uh, everything's going to get wiped out pretty quick by the rest of your buddies who are thinking, you know, thinking the same thing. Well, what about uh, what about things like traveling and stuff like that? Once the once the country was locked down in, in the depression, uh, could you leave the country? And and were other were your neighboring countries willing to open their door and let you come into their country? Well, you could leave, and hundreds of thousands did that. Um, as I said before, Argentina is a country of immigrants, and many of us have you know, grandparents or parents that are 
a Spanish or Italian citizen. And because of that, um, those of us that have a, a double nationality, you know, you have the, the two citizenships. I have, a, I have a Argentine citizenship and Spanish citizenship, which gives me the European citizenship that allows me to live anywhere in Europe right now. So uh, what ended up happening was that a lot of people, because of what was happening, were trying to find a way to get out of the country. Now, going maybe to Bolivia or, or Paraguay or Brazil, uh, maybe that wasn't that much of, a, of an improvement, but hundreds of thousands ended up going to Spain. I think it was about a quarter million that ended up going to Spain in, in just a few years. And uh, also U.S., uh, Italy, and other European countries as well. So it was you know, massive amounts of people. And the lines for, for getting your, your passport were huge. That's why I always tell people, if you have, I mean, have a passport. First of all, have one because if things get ugly and you have to leave in a hurry, uh, you, you don't want to be waiting in line. Right, waiting in line to try and, and get the permit and then waiting uh, in, even on a good year, you may wait a couple of months for it to get approved and sent to you, let alone if there's a backup. Exactly. Well, earlier we were talking about, about money and gold and stuff like that. Did there ever, uh, during the collapse, did there pop up any type of uh, like a bartering system? Right, especially... You know, as we were talking about before, if you had a job, if you had money, you, you kind of, I mean, it was, it was very bad even if you had a job because let's suppose you're getting paid, I don't know, you know 5,000 pesos a month, and that's enough for you to live. Now, if all of a sudden in a couple of weeks inflation takes 70% of your purchasing value, of your purchasing power, you're still in a pretty bad position, uh, even worse if you don't have a job to begin with. What a lot of people ended up doing was uh, just finding any way they could to get by. And barter for lots of people was, was a solution, at least uh, until they got back on their feet. Uh, now, what I always uh, tell folks is that barter is not this ideal uh, thing that a lot of, of folks in the, in the prepper and survival community think. It's not something that people in Argentina did as a solution. And, especially because it wasn't really that profitable. It wasn't really that good. Generally, it was hard to find uh, people to trade what you had for what you needed. And uh, people, in these, they started coming up with these uh, so-called barter clubs. Different towns would have a, 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 a barter club where they would be trading stuff. And you would have these sort of coupons so as to try to put a value to whatever good or service you had and then trade with that. But then you're going back to some kind of currency, but instead of having a, an actual currency, you have this barter club, club a coupon, which has limited acceptance. So it was kind of a solution for some time. Eventually, barter clubs, as time went by, they started evolving into, into clubs or, 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 um, or markets where people bought with normal currency instead. Right, right, and and like you said, that you know, whenever you uh, when you start operating in a system like that, especially with barter and stuff, the barter system is gonna it's only gonna be local 
You know, you're not going to be able to uh, to expect the system to to really stretch past, like uh, you know, your your block or a couple of blocks or something like that, because right. you know everything is going to end up being local for their bartering, you know, to work for. And I'm sure a lot of it too would be as, as people knowing you, that they know you, and they know uh, you know that you're good for whatever they're going to trade with or anything like that. Right. Uh, as opposed to trying to barter or trade with uh, you know a complete stranger. Uh, what about when we talked about the the, the mobs and the, the violence and the, the police and stuff? Did did you see crime in general? Uh, the the numbers of crimes uh, committed. Did you see that? Uh, yeah, that, that that was one of the worst things about all this mess was was a huge wave of crime that followed and uh, and still today I mean it had such an impact on on, on society uh, one of the first things we noticed was well of course the, the rioting the looting that was uh, something that we hadn't been we hadn't seen in quite some time uh, I mean I, I had never seen anything like that in, in my country so for me that was a first um, and for many people as well I, I don't remember the there, there had been previous crises in Argentina, never something as, as, as such a widespread rioting or looting. Uh, but, but that was one of the first signs of, of things changing. Uh, soon after that, there was um, a huge wave, uh, wave of, of kidnapping, which was something that we hadn't experienced before. Uh, that was something that happened in Colombia, not in Argentina. Uh, but all of a sudden, people started getting snatched out of the streets just because of the way you look, if you dress kind of well, or if you, if you drive a, a nice car. Uh, we saw some crazy stuff. We, we saw uh, kids being kidnapped because of the school uniform they had. Once you start thinking about that, you realize, of course, uh, a kid wearing a, a, a private school uniform that the parent is paying 500 bucks a month, that guy has money. If I take his kid, he's going to be paying 10000 bucks like that. So, uh, you know, it, it became a, such a problem that many schools stopped using a uniform anymore, some of these private schools. Uh, people were uh, very careful about talking about money. I mean, if, if, you, tell, if you told uh, a friend that you bought, a, that, that you were maybe selling your house and you just sold it and that got into the wrong years, you would get kidnapped for the money of your house or your car that you just sold. So uh, crime in general went up a lot. Uh, crime on the streets was, was, was a huge problem. Also keep in mind that w what we were talking about before, about gold having such a, uh, such a value because it wasn't affected by, by, by inflation, by the loss of, by the devaluation of the currency. So it became a favorite target. Uh, criminals right. snatch chains from from, right. from, having, from women, you know, jewelry. That would get snatched out of out of their necks, and you would be getting uh, mugs for your wedding band for your wedding ring. Uh, I ended up, uh, my wife and I, we we stopped using our our gold wedding rings and got ones made of silver, which of course was much cheaper and not uh, as likely to be stolen. But it, it was crazy, yeah. It, it was pretty bad, the, the problem of crime. These guys, they would just go, just after snatching a chain or, or, or mugging you for a ring, 
they would just go to these uh, I buy gold stores, sell it, and buy whatever it is that they needed. Right. Yeah, that's a double-edged sword is having gold to sell because, you know, if you have gold and you want to start yeah. selling it for money and stuff, then there's, it's, it's very hard to ever keep that information uh, yeah, from becoming you public, be you know. Extremely careful with that kind of stuff. If the word gets out that you have uh, <laughs> a nice pile of gold coins in a time like that, you, you'll, you'll be getting hit soon enough. And the, the kidnapping, that that really, it may have peaked that time, but that's still a, a very uh, viable industry in Argentina even to this day, right? Yeah, even today it is. Uh, and, and you, you know, some things are amazing, like maybe business partners kidnapping one another because they're doing bad and they need, they need extra money. Many times... Uh, we're seeing people that uh, that the ones that are are, are, are kidnapping uh, are in some way related to the to the victim. They know them because they're either uh, family members or or they work together. And sometimes it's completely you know uh, they just drive around. Those are called express kidnappings. They just drive around looking for someone that looks as if he has money, and they kidnap that person. Uh, other times, it's people that actually know the the victim. Right. Uh, what did people do to try and com you know com combat this? Uh, you talked earlier about folks uh, going to the gun store and saying, "Hey, I need a gun right now." Did uh, first off, was it uh, what were the laws like uh, in Argentina? Could you carry a uh, like a pistol on yourself uh, concealed? Was that legal? Right. Uh, Argentine gun laws uh, are not great, but they're not that bad either. You could, uh, you, you could just, uh, you first need to get a, a gun license. For that, you have to be uh, over 21. You have to have a, a source of income, prove that you have a job, that you have a, you know, a, a way of, of earning a living. Then you have to pass a, a, a psychological and physical exam. And then um, an exam showing that you have uh, that, that you know how to handle a gun, so you have to pass. Uh, uh, you have to have you have to be certified so as to knowing how to handle a gun. It, once you have that, you have your gun license and you're able to purchase guns uh, from from the gun store. But even then, it takes a couple of weeks until you get the card for each gun that you're buying. So you're basically allowed to buy uh, handguns, revolvers, uh, pistols. You're allowed to buy bolt action and lever action and, uh, rifles and carbines, semi-automatic 22 long rifles, um, and, and shotguns. For semi-automatic uh, big bore center fire rifles, that requires a, a special collector's license that I had myself, but it's extremely, extremely rare. Very few people have that. Wow. Uh, about carrying... Yeah, about carrying, it, 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 what happened was this. Uh, a carry license, you can get it in Argentina, but it's, it's either you have a lot of money or you have political connections. If not, it's very rare to get a, a carry license. Now, the thing is that since crime was such a big problem, a lot of people carried nonetheless. They just made right. up their minds about it, and they were willing to take the risk of getting caught and getting into trouble and... 
when putting those two things uh, you know into account, many people carry in spite of not having uh, an actual uh, license. Well, what about uh, yeah? Because people are, uh, I'm sure that they said, look, I'm uh, I'm gonna, I'm willing to to take the chance that I might be stopped or searched or something because right. the risk of me getting robbed is much greater than that. I also like the fact right. that you said they. They have to show, before they can get a firearm. They have to show that they are gainfully employed and that they're not getting the firearm, uh, you know, for their job. Yes, rob their job or, of yeah. robbing people. <laughs> right. Well, what about on a local level, like with the, on this, you know, with the communities and stuff? Did did people were they did they basically were they basically good? Did they try and help each other out? Did the communities band together? For to help right. each other with food or to help protect their neighborhoods. Well, you know, in times like these, you just you just try to get any help you have. You know, any help that's available. Uh, if you're in the, lots of people, they they just lost their homes or they just couldn't pay rent anymore. Lots of, of adults going back to live with their parents because they just couldn't live anymore. Um, so you, you just got any help you could uh, from friends, from family. Uh, if you couldn't put food on the table, eating at a family's house or family's, a family member's house. I think that people, you saw both the, the best and the worst of people. Uh, I think that in general, I try not to be very pessimistic, but in general, I, ha- I must say that People would let you down more often than surprise you by, by, by helping you out. There was a lot of helping each other out. That's, that's true. But in general, especially when things got really bad, or especially for, for things like, you know, you really need help economically or you really need help for something in terms of, 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 of crime, security, uh, it's very few people that will put their – themselves and their families uh, may be at risk so as to help you out. So whenever you have a friend like that, you, you really value it and, and appreciate it. I was just wondering if the, you know, the, the folks in, in a lot of, a lot of America is still the way it used to be, but a lot of the folks in America now, they, and I'm sure it's the same way a lot all over the world, that they, they don't have the same sense of community that we had 40 years ago. You know, a lot of people, they don't know the neighbors on either side of them. They don't have a lot of community functions and stuff like that. Things that, things that might have, uh, that might have helped them 40 years ago by the community, you know, pulling together real tight. And, and I was just wondering if, you know, neighborhoods said, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to try and make it together as a neighborhood or a block. Right. Uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna pull out, uh, I, you know, at, at night to watch for yeah. robbers and. I, I think that well, first of all, about uh, American people in general, I think that uh, Americans are, are some of the most um, um, what would be the word? Americans are some of the most generous people I came across, no doubt whatsoever. Uh, the average American guy is an extremely generous person compared to most other folks in the, uh, around the world. Uh, that, that, that's a, really a great thing. That's a good thing that will be very, uh, will be very valuable. 
But as you were saying before, sometimes uh, what happens is that Americans are very generous, but they don't stretch out so as to make better links with their neighbors, with the people around them. And that's something that could be improved on. Uh, that's something I, uh, I recommend people doing, uh, people in my, in my website and you know, those that follow me in, in YouTube and such. I tell them, make the extra effort not to just say hi to the neighbor, wave at him, but actually every once in a while try talking a little bit more, try being nice to him. That's something that I learned uh, back from, from Argentina. I think that Argentine people in general also learned that um, and I see a very big change in terms of how people got together back in the 2001 crisis. And there was recently a, a very serious problem in Argentina with, with rioting and looting again because uh, the police uh, went on strike in several provinces across Argentina just a few months ago, actually. And there was widespread anarchy across the entire country in ways that we have never seen before. And this time, neighbors did get together much, much, much better. They organized defenses very well. And many of them already having learned from the 2001 crisis, many had guns. Uh, many of them know how to use them pretty well, actually. There's, there's some great firearms instructors in, in Argentina. And they managed to keep their community safe in spite of these waves of looters attacking their community. Uh, I think that it was like, you know, 14 looters dead across the country. Not really that bad, but mostly because people organized well this time. Right. Well, you know, you were mentioning earlier about about some folks about that you you saw uh, when they when the scales tipped, it would tip toward the not so good folks rather than the good folks a lot of times. And we have, right. you'll see situations like that, no matter where you are, you'll see situations like that in your communities. Uh, you know, we've had uh, a drought here in Texas for quite a few years now. And uh year before last, it was another bad one. And people were selling hay, you know, for their cattle. And uh, normally a round bale, a big round bale, uh, you know, that, with it, that were going for 25 or 30 bucks or something like that. Uh, went up to prices up to like $150, you know, for a bale. And yeah. uh, I still sold it. I still sold it at the $35 level. But I would tell the people, like, I'm, I'm only going to sell this to you if you're using it for your own cattle. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna turn around and sell it to somebody else, I'm gonna find out. Right. Uh, I'm not gonna sell you anymore. But other people would. They they charge that $150 price tag for for what should be $25 or $30 a bale. And I always told them, I go, look, this the drought isn't going to last forever, but people are going to remember what you exactly. did when they were in trouble. Exactly. I, I you know, I, I tell people there's there's guys like that, and there's good guys as well. So you that doesn't mean you don't have to make the effort to reach out and, and build links, make friends, and have your network. Actually, it's it's the other way around. Uh, because of that, because lots of people are that way, you have to make even more friends so as to have uh, people that will come through when needed. Uh, I, you know, Texas is a place that I, I really like. Uh, uh, I, was, I was in the U.S. Uh, a few years ago, um, a couple years ago, actually, and uh, I stayed at a friend's house in, in Texas, and 
in College Station from a, a good friend that I, I had met uh, online. I stayed at his house, extremely generous, uh, nice guy, uh, which I'm in huge debt <laughs> up to this day. And that, that's a very nice thing about Texas. People, are, people have, have that sense of community. But at the same time, you have to understand, there's going to be guys that are going to be helping out, and there's going to be neighbors that will try to steal your generator <laughs> just like that. So right. you, you have both of them, you know? Right, and the and when they're when people are put into a situation where they are uh, where they feel that that they have the right to do whatever they need to to get what they want, you know, to feed their family or stuff like that, then you know people's uh, people's values and people's morals uh, might change or might snap, yeah. and uh, that yeah, may be things that you never never thought they would do, you know. Yeah, well, they get desperate and, and do things they, they probably never thought they they would be doing. And the more desperate they get, because the more because the worse the situation it is, uh, the the more you will see these things happening. And uh, sometimes you, you you see people, uh, you know, when, when they don't when they feel they can get away with anything, you see the worst and the best of people. Some people will say, okay, I can just go loot and get that big screen TV I wanted, and they will just go for that, and others will try to defend that store. And, and again, this is something that we saw just a few months ago in Argentina, neighbors defending stores that they had no relationship to whatsoever, but because it was their community, because it was their, their neighborhood, they wouldn't be allowing uh, people looting in there, you know? Right. Well, looking back on it now, after going through it, uh, is there are there some things? And, and I already know the answer to this because I, I read your blog, and, and we're going to be we're going to give you guys out the address too uh, before we leave. But are there some things that uh, that you would tell folks uh, if if they were heading into the same kind of thing and they started seeing the signs, yeah. they started seeing the currency be devaluated, the uh, uh, the country's infrastructure. Uh, starting to get shaken up. What are some of the things that you would recommend that they begin doing? Well, I, I think that, that being armed is it's extremely important, but not only being armed, because people think they buy a gun, they leave it in a, in a drawer, and that's that. That's actually like, that's like me going, that's like someone that doesn't know how to drive, going and buying a Lamborghini and putting it at... <laughs> 100 miles per hour and thinking he's going to be driving it. He's just going to be killing himself and someone else. It's not just about buying a gun. It's also about knowing how to use it. And you don't know how to use it unless you've got proper training for it. So my recommendation is it's, it's having a handgun, getting your carry license, and taking a class so as to actually know how to work when under pressure, when things go bad. It's not the same as shooting canned beers or, or whatever. It's, it's about having an actual defensive shooting class and, and being responsible. Same thing for a rifle. Having your rifle, taking a class. You're going to be carrying your handgun with you at all times. You're going to be having your rifle for when things get really ugly, but you have to know how to use both and get real, educated training. Well, you're... You're you're preaching to the choir here. That's music to my ears. 
I always tell people that in the for one thing you'll hear people say things like, you know, I'm 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 involved with the prepping self reliance uh, survival community. Right. And so you I, I hear all types of of, of people uh, and their explanations and their their survival plans and stuff like that. And even in this time you still have folks that uh that if you say what's their survival plan, they say, Well, I've got a I've got this certain rifle and a thousand rounds of ammunition and this shotgun and and 500 rounds of ammunition and a pistol and a thousand rounds of ammunition. So I think I'm set. And I think right. well, that, that's it. Uh, you know, that's what about what about food? What about water? You know, you, you, right. the the firearm itself is not going to provide these things. And it's, if you think that you're going to get them by taking them from other people, they may have guns and stuff too. Uh, right. Not only that, but like you said, having uh, uh, I'm a uh, firearms instructor with the Appleseed Project, which you told me that you were familiar with, and with yeah, yeah. Uh, and with Battle Road, which is a private company that uh, that I have that teaches uh, you know defensive and tactical firearms use for pistols, rifles, shotguns, etc. And we try and get that uh, in people's heads uh, as often as we can, and that is just having a firearm it doesn't really mean anything other than you have a firearm. Uh exactly. in order for you to use that firearm you have to be you have to be practicing in its use. Just like you said, if somebody can have a car in the driveway, but if all they've done is ever is backed it into the street and then put it back in the driveway and you're asking them now to run a race with their heart beating and with other cars on the road and everything else, it's that might end up being bad news. They have to keep their they have to keep their training Current. They have to make sure that they understand the basics of firearms use. Uh, yeah, if, if, if people think the that they saw a movie at, or, or, or they are able to hit a target, a target shooting is great, but if what you want is defensive shooting, you have to take professional instruction on defensive shooting. And, and was there a, were there a lot of folks uh, that were... I guess what I'm saying is, was there a, was there a great deal more shootings and defensive use uh, by firearms and stuff during the the events in Argentina? Uh, well, I I took all sorts of of, of courses. I, I took a, well for for pistol, and you know I took the beginners course, intermediate, advanced. Uh, I took a shooting courses on a, on on. A, on shooting around vehicles for, for carjacking attempts. We were training uh, every week uh, as well, uh, involving that with, with a practical shooting as well, um, shotgun classes. I, I also took the, the instructor's classes, so I'm, I'm, I'm an instructor uh, as well. We, it wasn't a, a large community of, of people. It's not uh, as big as it is in the U.S., but those of us that... Uh, it took this seriously. We we practiced a lot, and I will tell you, it did make a difference. Um, one of the things about these uh, uh, defensive shooting classes in Argentina is that everyone was involved in one kind of incident or another. Half the class had killed someone in self-defense, at least one guy. Uh, it, it was uh, it was really you know 
in a country where crime is such a big problem, it's pretty much unavoidable for these things to happen. So uh, our instructor, which was also instructor of the Buenos Aires police, uh, he had you know a, a lot of people, uh, lots of, of people uh, pushing daisies uh, because of because of him. Uh, right. th these things happen a lot. Uh, unfortunately, we also have uh, friends that have died because of that. So it, I will say though that in most cases, by a large uh, the, the training you got saved your life and made the difference, no doubt. Well, so two of the things that you're saying that, uh, that you'd recommend, one is having a firearm and knowing how to use it and then uh, investing uh, a certain part of your, of your available assets in gold or silver. What what is there any other any other things that you would uh, that you would advise people on if they saw themselves yeah, into this same situation? I, I would insist a lot on, on the on the handgun part. On you know the gun, based on what I've seen and went through, I have no doubt that you need your concealed carry license. You need to have the gun with you. The, the rifle is great. Don't get me wrong. And and I had my my rifle. I had my uh, my FAL rifle, well, I actually still have it, uh, but, um, you know, the, the, the gun that gets you out of the mess, it's going to be a handgun. It's the gun that you're going to be having when you're driving back from work and you get, a, you get carjacked or, or you get attacked when going into your house. And I always see people that they think, oh, yes, I, I, I practice with this gun and I carry this 22 long rifle Derringer because it's comfortable. And that just wants me to slap someone because it, <laughs> it upsets me so much. You have to practice yeah. with the gun you're carrying. It's not about having something that is comfortable. If you want something comfortable, <laughs> go, go try Victoria's Secret stuff with your wife or, or I don't know what else. The gun is what you use <laughs> to kill people that want you dead. So it doesn't have to be comfortable. It has to be a tool that works in the worst-case scenario. If you're practicing with a Glock 19 or a Glock 17, carry a Glock 19 or a Glock 17. Don't carry, a, I don't know what pocket gun that you saw in an ad last week or you saw in a nice YouTube video. Um, you shouldn't be changing guns like you're changing shoes or, or, or jackets or, or something like that. Um, if you're going to be mastering a firearm, you're going to be sticking with it for years because you will be knowing it as an extension of your arm. If you train that way, when someone really wants you dead, you're going to be having a good chance. Uh, sometimes you see news even that are misleading. You see someone on the news that you scared someone away with a, with a famous trade too long rifle Derringer. Okay, he scared someone away. You could have even used a BB gun. It would have worked. But if it had been really a worst-case scenario where the, the other guy was shooting back or as it happens a lot in Argentina, there's several of them. I mean, I know guys that started out with two, three different guys at the same time. That's challenging. That's where the, the, the little details on your training will make the difference between staying alive or not. Right. Right. And, and uh, we see that at, uh, at the courses that we teach at times. People will show up and, and they'll be... They'll be shooting a pistol, but they'll be having some difficulty with it or something. They'll say, they'll tell me, well, this is, 
this is not the one that I usually carry, you know, when I'm out and about. <laughs> usually I carry, uh, you know, a Glock 17, right. I carry this or that. And I say, well, then why did you show up here today with this if you're not going to be carrying it? And I said, well, you know, the whole idea is for us to be showing you how to use the firearm that you're going to be carrying day in and day out. So, yeah, that's, that is a very important thing is to train you know what? what you're going to, to use. They, you know why? They, they go to the class with a Glock 19 or Glock 17 because they shoot better with it and they have a holster for it and whatnot, and they want to make a good impression in the class. But then that gun <laughs> is uncomfortable or it's too big, and they go carrying this little uh, 380 ACP, 380 ACP because it's, it's tiny and it's comfortable. That just doesn't work. It's, it's not going to be doing it for you. Well, the, the depression... That, uh, that the Argentina went through in uh, between 98 and 2002 was was really uh, you know a, a fairly short one as compared to to some other uh, you know depressions around the world stuff like that uh, the uh, economists say and even though it was even though there was one earlier and it wasn't the first one they said that the the uh, the national uh, GDP was exceeding the pre-1998 levels by 2005. So in only in only five years, they had, you guys had managed to get back through it, and the the GDP was actually exceeding the levels of uh, 1998. But like you mentioned earlier, and if you read about the the economics of Argentina, they the country is still uh, very badly wounded by the events of uh, 2001. They're still having trouble making it past that that wound they received. Yeah, especially because um, what ended up happening when when the country collapsed, it, it really collapsed. I mean, it collapsed not only financially, socially, and politically as well. Politically speaking, when when your president resigns and leaves, and uh, I mean we had we saw five different presidents in a week. Uh, after the first one left, another one came. He saw the mess that was the country. He left again. Another one was assigned. I mean, no one wanted to take uh, that hot potato. <laughs> Everyone was running away from it. So uh, all that has a huge um, a political impact. That's why we ended up with a with a president that basically ended up ruining the country even more because it was a very you know uh, extremely corrupt you know just not doing things right. Uh, the the president back then was uh, Nestor Kirchner. He was replaced by by his wife then, which is still president right now. So you see over a decade of, of the same people in government uh, doing things in, in a way. One of the first things they, they changed was the way in which statistics were measured, and um, the, the the center of of, uh, of statistics of, of the country was intervened by them. They took over it, and they started changing the way numbers were run so as to make things look a little bit better. Uh, the problem with that is that we ended up with a country that was lying about inflation, about the GDP, a country that was lying about how bad the situation is. As of right now, it's, you know, it's almost impossible to know how bad things are. 
because of all that lost knowledge. It's like uh, trying to, uh, for a doctor to make a diagnosis with a patient lying about what he's feeling. So it, it's a really bad moment right now for Argentina. And, and unfortunately, this comes back from, from that crisis of, of 2001. Man. Well, there's talk now that, that Argentina may be heading for another economic crisis. Uh, I know that you're no longer living in Argentina, but I'm sure you still have lots of friends and relatives yeah. and stuff there. What, what are they saying about this? Yeah, this this was uh, pretty recently. There was quite a bit of a, of a devaluation. Uh, we were talking before about the, the peso going from one to one, you know, one peso, one dollar. When it devaluated, it was three pesos to one dollar. Then it got up to four pesos to one dollar. That holds on for, for some time. Later it was a five pesos to one dollar. And very recently, it, it devaluated again quite a bit, and it ended up being, it, it, right now, at this moment, it's about eight, uh, eight pesos to one dollar, officially speaking, and there's currently a ban on the purchase of foreign currency, uh, but on the, uh, on, on the, on the black market, the, the dollar is about uh, 12 pesos, 13 pesos per dollar. So, of, you know, of, unofficially speaking, which is much more of, a, of the real value, it's about 10, 13 pesos per dollar. So it's a very bad moment right now. Wow. And like I said, you're, you're no longer in Argentina. And, and, and is, is that is part of the reason because of the the events that you experienced and the and the even the current up and down of the country, or did you? Uh, I know you said that uh, with your dual citizenship that allowed you to to move right. back, move to to Spain, and then by by moving to Spain allowed you access to all of uh, Europe. There, uh, yeah. Is, with, with was a, the move was the move made because of the country's troubles? Yes, yes, it was. It was because of that. Uh, this was all. This is all an evolution from from the economic collapse. And as I was saying before, this, the entire society ends up changing. Uh, imagine all, over you know, 14 years of of this happening in a country. You already see a, a generation that saw nothing but, or at least they remember nothing, but a post-collapse Argentina. There's a there's a generation that just feels that the only way in which you make a living is by stealing either with a gun or politically. They get involved with, with, with the current government so as to find ways of stealing from within the government. Uh, you, you see a, a, a brainwashing that has, has been going on for so long. It, it's not a good picture. Um, what we ended up seeing, what basically made me realize we had to leave and we had to leave fast was some of the measures being taken by the government were uh, very much against the freedom of, of press. There was a, a, a law passed that uh, was restricting freedom of speech. Soon enough, many of the free media was taken over by the government. And as of right now, there's only two media or, uh, outlets that are independent, and the government is it's, it's pretty much taking over those 
right now as well. So you're looking at Argentina becoming Venezuela. Um, in many ways, it, it's already like that um, in, in many aspects. So wow. all these measures, uh, also the, the ban on the purchasing of, of foreign currency, uh, basically the government is telling you what you can or cannot do with your own money. Uh, if you combine that with a with the censorship that we were seeing, uh, all this was happening right before the re-election uh, of Cristina Kirchner, which is, you know, she, she was the wife of Nestor Kirchner, the, the previous president. Uh, before her re-election, uh, she was doing all these things, and I, I just knew that after the re-election, she would unleash many of the most draconian <laughs> things that she had planned. And that, it was said and done. Right after the re-election, she just went uh, berserk on, on many of these measures that, you know, controlling what people could or could not do to uh, an extreme I was not comfortable with anymore. Uh, combined with the high crime that was already impossible to live with, we just, we just knew we had to leave pretty fast. Well, anytime you, anytime you have a situation where where the government is beginning to restrict your rights. And I think one of the most dangerous ones, of course, I mean, especially one of the most dangerous signs, is when they start restricting or censoring speech. Uh, yes. Because that just shows that they're, they're getting ready to do other things, and they don't want you talking about those either. So that's exactly. a very dangerous thing. And exactly. Argentina had... Uh, had guarantees of uh, the freedom of speech, much like the American Constitution has. Yeah, absolutely. And that's yet another thing that people have, have to understand. These, these laws, we, we tend to think that a law or even, even an amendment, you know, you have all these rights and you think they cannot be taken away from you. But the, with a, a stroke of a pen, they can change all that. And, you know, who are you going to be complaining to? If they come up with an emergency law, decree, or whatever name they want to put into it, um, if they do that sort of thing, it, it, it's all things that they are willing to do eventually. They, with a stroke of a pen, they can change what you can or what you cannot do. So you always have to stay, be very much aware of what's going on because you can never say this is not going to be happening. They will never go this far, you know? Right, right. And you know that because you've experienced that. You know, I teach at uh, Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship events uh, on a regular basis, usually at least once a month. And we get folks from all over the world attending. You know, we don't, not just, not just Texans or not just Americans, we get folks from uh, from Russia and Argentina and Venezuela and uh, China and, and all over Asia and stuff like that that come to the events. The difference, the main difference, I think, is whenever we're talking about history or we're talking about rights uh, and freedoms and liberties and stuff like that, the the Americans' attitudes, the problem that I see with their attitudes, is that they, in their in their minds and their hearts because they have always had these freedoms, always had these liberties, they, they are under the false impression that they always will, that they can't be right. taken from them because they've always had them. Now, the people from 
from Russia or Poland or or Argentina or Venezuela or, or any of the other countries who have experienced this firsthand, they listen very intently because they understand that, like you said, it's only the stroke of pen that uh, that stands between them, uh, their rights, and no rights, and it can happen. It can happen in an instant, and. And that's one of the things, one of the main things I'd like for people to understand about the program today is that, is that Argentina w- was not a third world country. It wasn't some backwoods uh, place uh, with, uh, with now I know that there have been off and on military rulers and juntas and stuff like that, but, but uh, overall, very wealthy, very educated uh, nation. And if it can happen in Argentina, it can happen anywhere. And it did happen in Argentina. I'd like folks to understand that that just because it hasn't ever happened here doesn't mean it can't. It, that it can't. It, all it takes is the stroke of a pen, and you could lose every right that you had. Yeah, it's a, you know it's something that, as you said, you said before, people take it for granted. And they don't know that one day you may be staring down the wrong side of, of, of a gun barrel, and you know, if, who are you going to be crying to then? What, what is it that you're going to be doing then? People have to understand their rights, but they also have to exercise their rights as much as possible. You know, their rights are like muscles. The more you exercise them as a society, the less likely you are to lose them. But if people forget about those rights that they have and they don't exercise them, if they don't make uh, everyone realize that they know what they have, then it's, it's much easier to take those away from you. Right, right. And a lot of folks are doing that right now with their Second Amendment rights. And, you know, there's something to be said about uh, both sides of it because I don't know if you, if you have watched uh, a lot of the stuff that's been going on in America recently but because uh, there's been so much uh, of an assault through the legal system on the Second Amendment rights in America, folks have been trying to, to push back by doing things like yeah. things like open carry rallies where they show up at, right. at, you know, in, in large numbers with their, with their rifles on their backs and stuff saying, look, this is our right. We're not trying to cause any right. trouble. We're just, we're just trying to show you that this is a right that we have. And I think I, it's I see pretty that important. exercising their muscles. Yes, exactly. It's a, that, that's great. And you know what? It's good for people no longer to be afraid of it. it you know, it, it wasn't until that long ago that you, you try not to talk that much about it. And from a, from a survival perspective, it is true that you have to be, you know, practice some sort of, of control about the information that you have. But at the same time, you, the, the less fear you have about talking about these things and talking about the Second Amendment and why it's important and why it's not about hunting, <laughs> explaining those things, and the, the more people feel less afraid of it and uh, the, the more you spread the message and the better for everyone. Yes, exactly. And, the, uh, and the, it, you know, it wasn't too long ago that if you were to mention, I mean, less than, probably less than even 10 years ago, if you were to mention anything about saying, well, I'm a, I'm a person that, uh, that 
that thinks about uh, self-reliance and prepping and survivalism and stuff like that, yeah. you automatically got tagged with uh, with a crazy hat. And, you know, people were afraid of you. They don't want to, they don't want to, they don't want to associate with you yeah. because you're, you're going to hear some kind of a crazy, but yeah, some, some more and more of some kind. Yeah. It, well, it's become more mainstream now because I think people are starting to understand that, look, it's happened several places around the country. It could, it could happen here. And like I said, I know you're not living in Argentina anymore, but is uh, because you have gone through the events that you, that you and your family went through in Argentina, how has it affected uh, the way that you live now, even though you're not living there? How has it affected the knowledge that it could happen anywhere? How has that affected how you're living your daily life now? Well, we are we're very appreciative of, of not you know living safe and not. Uh, I mean, living in Argentina was every single day. You just knew <laughs> bad things could happen to you. Uh, you just uh, you just live in in, in constant uh, aware, state of awareness, and uh, we learn to appreciate you know, living more more peacefully. We uh, we have you know steps. To, uh, you know, we, we we still do all the, you know, in terms of of having food for for bad times, in, in terms of of having the 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 necessary preparedness steps in, in case anything goes wrong. We we still we still do practice that. Um, I think that the most the most thing that we learned from that experience was was to appreciate what we have. You know. Our family, our kids, each other. We are a pretty strong family because of that, I believe. Well, do you guys do? Uh, I mean, do you have? Have you put together like your own, uh, you know, or a uh, uh, or a revised survival type plan for uh, where you're living now? Well, we, we're actually living in, in Ireland now, and it's, uh, we're living in a small town in, in Ireland, a medium-sized town, so to speak, uh, which is extremely safe. I mean, it's ridiculously safe. People here have no, no, have no fear whatsoever of, of, of crime. I mean, it's ridiculously safe. And yeah, there's crime like everywhere else, but you know people have they they just sleep with their many times they don't even lock their doors, which is something that to me sounds insane. Um, so basically, understanding I also chose very carefully where to live, so natural disasters and that sort of thing are are just something that doesn't happen here, at least not. Not to uh, to a great degree, um, but we do have the steps to have to be prepared for. You know, if something goes wrong, if stores are no no longer open, so as to be able to get by for a for a good amount of time. Uh, preparedness is it's also about understanding your your own personal circumstances. Uh, if you're living in in a place that's prone to the natural disasters, then you have to have those those in place and. If you live in somewhere, some some place where you know there's the, the possibility of of higher crime problems uh, taking place, 
it's very specifically to where where you are living, right? To uh, I want to tell folks too that that you've taken the time uh, to use your experiences during the uh, the economic collapse in Argentina, and you've managed to to put them all together in a book called the Modern Survival Manual: Surviving the Economic Collapse. And guys, uh, you can get this book off Amazon. I know you've had it out for a while. I don't know why I why I didn't find it. I, I ordered it uh, yesterday, but uh, I would advise folks to to grab this book and and read it so that you can you can read through some actual experiences uh, of a person who survived a situation like this. Not theoretical things, what people might think that might work or that might uh, be a solution, but a book that's based on what actually did work and didn't work for a person that went through it. You can find it at uh, Amazon.com, and that's the Modern Survival Manual. And uh, you also have a, a blog site up, which is a really great blog, and uh, and it's dedicated toward uh, uh, survival and, and current events and can you, can you give folks the uh, the blog address? Sure. Yeah, it's themodernsurvivalist.com. Uh, that's that's uh, my website, and in the same with the same name, the Modern Survivalist. Uh, I have also a, uh, a YouTube channel, which I, I try to keep updated with with videos every once in a while. Actually, trying to post uh, a few times a week. So there's videos for you for those of you folks that prefer watching videos on YouTube. The Modern Survivalist or the Survivalist.com for for the actual uh, blog posts. Right, and there's also the uh, uh, the FERFAL blogspot.com. Ah, right. That's true too, right? Right, it's uh, ferfal.blogspot.com. That was uh, that. That's a uh, I, I put it's the, it's the same content. In either website, it's just that the modernsurvivalist.com was a <laughs> was a better URL link for for folks. <laughs> well, listen, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time out of your evening there now, and uh, and talking to the listeners and letting them uh, benefit from your knowledge uh, and your experience of going through uh, an event like this. I really appreciate you. Uh, you're allowing me to, to speak with you. Hey, it was great talking with you, and, you know, anytime you want to do this again, just let me know, and, and we'll talk again. Thanks a lot for having hey, me. Hey, sounds great. I, I've, got it. I've got it worked out now. I know how to do it, actually. And listen, <laughs> if you're ever in Texas, you're always welcome here. Uh, hey, I, I love Texas. I, I like Texas very much. Well, you've got a, you've got a place for you here if you ever want to to stop in. All right, guys. Uh, well, thanks a lot. Do it thanks. This evening. So, uh, well, thanks uh, again to uh, Fernando, and uh, God bless you and yours, sir. And we'll see you guys uh, this next uh, Thursday back at our regular time, 7 p.m. Uh, Central Standard Time. Until then, uh, take care, and uh, God bless and keep you all. Thank you, Fernando. Hey, 
Broadcasting lives, billions of people. 